0: Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chespero Baptist Church. This is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So this was a Thanksgiving themed message. We went through Psalm 100 in this message. And the title of the message is Responding to the King. Please enjoy. All right, let's get to some Bible. Psalm 100. If you have your places in Psalm 100, I to ask you to stand one last time. Respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read the whole Psalm. It's just five verses. Psalms 100, starting in verse number 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter in His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. And we're going to title this message this morning, Responding to the King responding to the king. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I hope we never forget how grateful we are. I hope we never forget how thankful we are for everything your bounty gives us, Lord. or well, For being in control, Lord. For just being God for our Savior, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your blood, your blood applied. What I pray that you'd be with us this morning, As we study your word, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Charlie Brown was walking out to Snoopy on Thanksgiving Day. He brought his food bowl and put it at Snoopy's little doghouse, then walked away. Snoopy looked at the food and said, Man, this isn't fair. Today is Thanksgiving, and all I get is dog food. I mean, everybody else is eating turkey and eating turkey with all the trimmings, and all I get is dog food. Because I'm a dog, all I get is dog food. He stared at the plate for a second. He looked up and said, well, it could be worse. I could be a turkey. And so... <laughs> So there's many reasons why you can be thankful on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, like I said, is right around the corner. It is this week. And what better time to reflect on this psalm in the Word of God than the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I can't think of a better time. I would like for you to put yourself in the place of a Jew in Bible times. It is time for you to go to the temple. You gather outside the temple. You get there kind of early to get as, as close as you can get, and you're meandering around the outer court. And as you're there for a while, and you're congregating, and you're fellowshipping, and you're talking to your neighbor, in a minute, somebody comes to the door to the temple and begins to sing a song. They sing out loud. Maybe it's a Levite that is a designated singer and he sings out loud and he sings telling people that it's time to start. It's time to come into the Lord's house. It's time to come into the inner court. It it is time to begin. And the song that that person is singing is Psalms 100. Psalms 100 was the Jews' call To worship. In fact, still today, it is still sung in synagogues as a call to worship. Let me tell you today that this this Psalm 100. It's the end of a series of psalms, from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100. This section of psalms is called Yahweh Malach, and what that means is the Lord. Reigns. It is a series of psalms designed to let us know that Yahweh reigns. But this is a little different than the rest of the psalms in this series section of psalms. This Psalm 100 is a little different because it's not just a call to the Jews. It's a call to the whole earth, the entire earth. Yahweh is God. The key statement, this is the key statement in verse 3. Verse 3, in the middle of the verse it says, The Lord is God. What that is saying is Yahweh is Elohim. Yahweh is Creator God. He is the only Creator God. He is the only true living God. And then we have responses to this laid out in Psalms 100. And these responses are four words. And these four words are worship, serve, love, thank. Worship, serve, love, thank. I want you to say the four words with me. Here we go. Worship, serve, love, thank. These are four wonderful words. And I'm telling you today, as we get ready for turkey, as we get ready for dressing and giblet gravy and bless God, deviled eggs. Amen. Love me some deviled eggs. As we get ready for these things, we are coming into the presence of the king. And when you are in the presence of the king, there are appropriate responses to that. So I'm going to give you today four These four appropriate responses, and I'm going to explain them. Now, I want you to prepare yourself. I'm going to push you a little bit this morning. I'm going to push you a little bit outside the comfort zone. I'm going to push you a little bit outside the box today. I'm going to give just, just a little nudge. Number one, the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is worship God joyfully. Worship God joyfully. Verse one says, "Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth." You know what some translations say? Make a joyful noise. He put that in the Bible for me because he knows I can't sing. He put that in there just for me because you know, you know, he put that in there for my benefit because I am not a singer. And he goes, "You know what I'm commanded to do? I'm commanded to shout." I'm commanded to shout to the Lord. Verse 2 says, come before His presence with singing. This was a formal song that the Jews used to call to worship. The synagogues are still using it today. I would like to tell you that in the Bible, depending on what translations you use, we are commanded between 17 and 18 times to shout to the Lord. In ancient times, when you were in the presence of a king... You gave what was called the victory shout. The victory shout, the purpose of it, was a way of saying, our king is strong, our king has delivered us, we are victorious because of the king. Numbers 23, Balaam was hired by Balak to curse the children of Israel. Of course, God would not let him do that. What did Balaam say? He said, he has not absorbed misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. They believed that the presence of God was among their midst, and because of that, they shouted the shout of a king because their king is God, Joshua. They surrounded the city in the, book, uh, in the book of Joshua. They surrounded Jericho. General Joshua gave out the instruction. He said, shout to the Lord for the city is yours. First Samuel, the Philistines and the Israelites are about to fight. The Israelites say, we want the Ark of the Covenant brought into the camp. They brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp, and when they came into the camp, the children of Israel began to shout so loud that the Philistines said, what in the world is going on? And the Bible says that the ground shook. And so as the Ark is brought in, the Bible says, the Lord came into the camp... All Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. They were afraid. The earth shook. They felt the vibrations in the earth. Israelites were shouting because they were in the presence of the king. This happened again in Ezra. When the temple is being rebuilt, the Bible says, and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. And what can we gather from these verses? What we can gather is their worship was alive, wasn't it? Their worship was alive. They actually, literally believed that the presence of God was among them. You know what Charles Spurgeon said? He said, "Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful people is in keeping with His nature in His acts." I want to tell you that the Bible does not prescribe to us how we should sing. It doesn't give us a technique, doesn't tell give us a beat, doesn't tell us which songs to sing, although there are songs in the Bible. There's no verse that says you've got to use three, four time or two, two time. There's nothing like that. There's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt only use piano music in church. There's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt useth hymnoleth onlyeth. There's no verse like that. But it does say we are to sing. It says we are to shout. And it says we're to be joyful when we do it. We're to be joyful. But there are rebuttals to this. There's excuses to this, and, and, and I've heard a few over the years. Now, let me say this. I am not saying these things about anybody in this church. When I sit and sing, you're behind me. I can't see you sing. Okay, so this isn't directed at anybody, but I will say this. I have led music in churches for 13 years, so I've heard these before. Here's the first excuse, but I'm just not a good singer. I am just not a good singer. I want to say this very respectfully, very delicately, with a lot of discretion, very compassionately, and very tenderly. Get over it. Get Over it. I mean, I hate to be blunt, but I'm here to tell you this morning the Lord has given you an adequate enough gift to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Anybody can make a joyful noise, anybody can shout. Let me tell you something. I was so self-conscious when my pastor asked me to lead congregational singing some 13 years ago. I was so incredible. I've been preaching since I was 13. I could preach and stare you down. I could look right at you when I was preaching. But when it come, you're you're welcome for that. uh, But but listen. But when it come to singing, I couldn't do that. I, I, I've told some of you in here before. When I sing, I've now I've got a habit. When I lead congregational singing, I have to look at the back wall because in my mind I'm thinking I'm up here singing and somebody's gonna be going. Mm, 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 mm. So I could. So I got to the point where I was staring at the back wall. You know. So so I am I am right there with you. You know what somebody once said? Somebody once said, "If you got a good voice." If God gave you a good voice, then sing. He said, if God gave you a bad voice, give it back to Him. Just give it back to Him. I'm here to tell you today, look, I'm never going to stand up here and sing a solo. Maybe solo you can't hear me. But man, you put me with a group of people. You put me with a choir. You put me with a congregation. I don't mind singing. What did God say in Mark 12? He said, love the Lord with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind. And what was that fourth one? Strength. With all your strength. Now, here's excuse number two I don't feel like it. I really don't feel like singing today. And you know what? I get that. Uh, that is, that's legit. You know why? We all have bad days. You know what we do when we have bad days? Come to church anyway. Sometimes when you have those bad days, you don't feel like singing. I get it. I promise you I've been there. But let me put this to you. Has there ever been a Monday morning, that alarm clock went off, and, man, you did not feel like getting up and going to work. You did not feel like it. But I, (laughs) not just Monday, but you know what you do? You go anyway. You go and you do it anyway. And we don't come home at the end of that day and our spouse say, what'd you do today? And I said, well, I didn't feel like going to work, uh, but I went, but since, since I didn't feel like it, I really didn't go. You don't say that. You see, just because you don't feel like it doesn't make it any less real. It doesn't make it any less real when you do it anyway. And then there's excuse number three. Well, I'm just not the emotional type. I'm just not the emotional type. And man, of all three of these, that's the one I get the most. We are in the, if that's you, me and you are on the same boat. We're members of the same club. I'm telling you, I have to work at, at, at being emotional. Uh, we are in the same boat, me and you. But let me say this. Let's say you're playing a basketball game. You're playing against the other team, you're two points down, the clock's running out, it's the fourth quarter, you get the ball, you look at the clock, there's four seconds left on the clock, three seconds. There's no way you were going to get to the other side of that court. So this is it. You take that ball and you throw it with all of your might as hard as you can. And it's going in the air. Everybody goes deathly silent. Everybody's watching that ball. The whole game hinges on this ball. It goes over to the other side and swish nothing but net. You are not going to stand over there and say, eh, that's okay. Guarantee you're not going to do that. You are going to jump up three or four feet. You're going to shout and scream, and you're going to let everybody know about it. I was uh, performing a wedding a couple years ago. We went to a lake. It was a beautiful wedding on a lake, and I'm presiding over this wedding. And at the same time this wedding was going on, there was a very, very important LSU game going on. Let me tell you something, there are no fans in the country like LSU fans. And so we're on one side, and I don't mean that in a bad way, you know, I mean that in a good way. And so there's, uh, we're on one side of the lake doing this wedding. On the other side of the lake, a cabin is rented. They are watching this game, and man, every time LSU scores, they scream so loud, we can hear it on the other side of the lake during the wedding. Do you know why we do these things? Because it's real to us. We do these things because it's real to us. And I'm here to tell you today, uh, if, if our God was real to us, when we read our Bible, we should read it with some enthusiasm. We should pray with some enthusiasm. We should go to church with some enthusiasm. And we should sing with some enthusiasm. We are commanded to sing, and we are commanded to sing and worship God joyfully. It is time we started making a joyful noise. It is time we started making a joyful shout and come into His presence with singing. So first, we worship God joyfully. Number two, serve God gladly. Serve God gladly. Verse number two, serve the Lord with gladness. Where worshiping joyfully is an appropriate response, serving God with gladness is also an appropriate response. I want to tell you today that God doesn't just want fans. God wants followers. You know what should follow emotion? Motion. Motion should follow emotion. There's an old saying that says, it's not how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you come down. Look, it's great to get excited about God. It's great to get excited about the Lord, but then we've got to live this thing out. We've got to live it out. Serve Him with gladness. Have you ever known somebody to serve the Lord, but they moan and complain as they do it? They serve God, but then they complain, and they gripe, and they moan about serving God. You know, there was somebody like this in the New Testament. Her name was Martha. Oh, Martha. They're in there. They're in there having a a dinner. Martha's working, and she's preparing, and she's getting the food ready. She's got all these people. She's got a... She's got to feed, and 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 you know what it's like preparing. Some of you are preparing for big meals at your house this week, and so you know the kind of effort that Martha is having to do and plan and the work and care she's putting into this. And Mary is is at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus speak, and her Jesus has has her full attention, and she is soaking in everything that the Lord says, and Martha comes out and says, Jesus. Tell her to get up. Tell her to come help me. But you know what? Jesus was just, Mary was just listening to Jesus. And you know what Jesus said about Mary? She's doing the better part. And you know what else he said about her? He said, it will not be taken from her. You know why? Because worshiping is better than whining. Worshiping is better than whining. It will not be taken from her. There's an Old Testament example of this. It's a prophet. He's got a book named after him. Kind of a short book. Can you guess what it is? Jonah. Old Jonah. Jonah J. Jonason. So he's out here. And uh, this is, you know, he's out here and, you know, uh, Jonah was called to serve the Lord. But guess what? Did he serve the Lord with gladness? Did he look at God and say, yes, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do? No, he didn't. Jonah got on a cruise ship to Portugal. He went in the opposite direction, the opposite direction that God wanted him to go. And you know why he did that? I have heard it preached All my life, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many messages and how many sermons and how many preachers I've heard preach that the reason why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was afraid for his life. That he was afraid that when he would go there that they would kill him and they would destroy him and torture him because they tortured his people and he was afraid for his life and that's why he didn't want to go. While that may have been true, that was not Jonah's reasoning. You read the book of Jonah and you will see that the reason he did not want to go to Nineveh is because he knew his God was a forgiving God. And he knew that if they repented that God would forgive them and he didn't want to go because he didn't want them forgiven. That is the reason why Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want them forgiven. Well, guess what? Jonah did go. But he didn't go joyfully. He didn't go gladly. He went under duress. He went under under duress. He went out of duty. And he went after he was dumped out on the shore. We need to serve God with gladness and not sadness. We need to serve God without moaning and without groaning and without complaining. But we need to do it with joy. Did you know there's at one point in church history that the pastors wore nothing but black, from head to toe, wore nothing but black? One man said during this time that I'd I'd like to be happy in church, but the preachers are dressed up like an undertaker. So it was kind of hard to be happy in church. Look, you do not have to be sad to be sanctified. You do not have to be gloomy to be holy. God wants everything done for him to be done with gladness. Even your financial giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Hey, I'm going to write that tie check. You're not going to get blessed like that. It has to be done without obligation, without grudging. It has to be done cheerfully. You're not going to get anything if you don't give cheerfully. I'm here to tell you today I'm not saying this because I want your money. I'm saying this because the Bible teaches it. And as a Christian, we need to know you cannot outgive God. You cannot do it. You cannot outgive him. But I'm also here to tell you today that God does not just want a cheerful giver, God wants a cheerful liver. And I'm not talking about that liver <laughs> in there. He wants a cheerful person to live out their life in a cheerful way. In Boston, Massachusetts, there was a lady who cleaned, a, uh, cleaned an office building. She had done it for 40 years. For 40 years of her life, she cleaned this office building. The newspaper got wind of it. I thought, man, this woman doing the same thing over and over, just monotonous, boring day to day, every day. So they interviewed the lady and they said, look, how can you do the same monotonous, boring job every single day? for 40 years. How does that happen? She looked at the interviewer and said, my job isn't boring. Let me tell you what I get to do. These people come in every day. Their job is important. They could not do their job effectively if they had to worry with the stuff that I That I work on. If they had to stop what they're doing during the day. And stop and clean and take out their trash. There's no way that would add to their stress. It would add more on them. There's no way they could do their job effectively. If I didn't do mine. And she said my mop is the hand of God. Cheerfully. Cheerfully. Number three. Love God intelligently. Love God intelligently. Verse 3, know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. What's the first word in verse 3? No. No. What does that word know mean? It means the same thing it means everywhere else. It means to perceive with understanding. In relation to God, this means that there are some things that God wants you to know. There are people who will say that the answer to every single question you have is in that book. That is wrong. This book doesn't have every answer, but it has the ones God wants you to know. There are some things that God doesn't want us to know. There are some questions that we cannot answer. There are some things we will not know until we get to glory. There are things we will not know until we get to heaven. But this Bible has everything we need to know is right here in this book. And there are some things recorded in the Bible that he wants us to know. I'm here today. It's okay for a Christian to be a critical thinker. It's okay for Christians to use our mind. When you come in church, you don't have to click off your brain. It is okay for us to use our mind. To quote a verse I quoted earlier, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Romans 12:2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hosea 4:6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected my knowledge. 2 Peter 3:18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's okay to think and be a Christian. It's okay to do that. It's okay to think deeply about spiritual things. So there are some things that God wants us to know. In this psalm, there's some things God wants us to know. All right, what does God want us to know from this psalm? Number one, he wants us to know his lordship. He wants us to know his lordship. The verse says, know that the Lord himself is God. Can I paraphrase that for you? He is God and you are not. He is God and I am not. He is God. We are not. And you know when it's time we started letting God be God because me and you are not God. What's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods beside me. There isn't another God. There isn't three gods. There isn't ten gods. There isn't three hundred thousand gods. There is only one true living God. And the only way to that one true living God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's it. He's it. We don't have anything else without him. That's why we depend on him. Because without him, that's it. We have nothing. Man, but you know, I really don't like the way this situation played out. He is God and you are not. I don't like the way that that situation happened over there. If it were me, I'd have done something different. He is God and you are not. Man, I don't understand why this is in the Bible. He is God and you are not. Well, well, you know what? According to to my moral code, according to my moral code, this doesn't seem right. Guess what? He is God and we are not God. God doesn't have to answer to me and you. He. God does not owe us an explanation for anything because He is God, and we are not. We are answerable to Him, but He does not have to answer to us. So we have to recognize His Lordship. Number two, we have to recognize His craftsmanship. His craftsmanship. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us. He made you. You understand the complexity of the human body. You understand how special you are. You understand that there are 160 billion complex cells in your brain that give you the ability to reason unlike any other creation that He created. You understand that that you have a pump in your chest that is such an effective pump That a blood cell, one blood cell in your body every day travels approximately 12,000 miles every single day because you have got such a good pump inside of you. We are a marvelous creation of God. Now look, I'm not here to discuss evolution versus creation. Y'all know my stance on that. We've talked about it before. You know, I, I honestly believe, you know, how come we don't still have tails? You say, well, we don't, we don't swing in trees anymore. You mean to tell me that if I didn't have my arms full of groceries, I wouldn't need a tail to swing around there and open that door for me? If I had a tail, I'd use it. Hey, you know what? How come moms? How come moms only have two arms? Man, moms are so busy. If evolution was real, moms would be having 18 arms. They've got so many things to do today. I'm here to tell you today that we are a creation. You are not a human accident. You are a divine incident. And God got it right the first time around. There was no version 1.0, and then that didn't work, so he made version 2.0. no, 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 no. God got it right the first time. We are created for a purpose. And number three, we need to know his ownership. Know his ownership. We and, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Wait a minute. We're gods. How? How are we gods? Well, number one, we're God, we're, we belong to God because of creation. He made us. He made made you. That's why you're His. And if you're a believer, the second reason why you're His is through redemption. He paid for you. He paid a hefty price too. So we are His because He made us, because He paid for us. This is going to be our anthem in heaven. Revelation 5, talking to Jesus. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Okay, so he owns us. So what? What's the big deal about that? How is that going to help me? How is that practically going to help me every day of my life, the fact that God owns me? Man, when I wake up in the morning and I turn my alarm clock off and I get dressed and I go to work and I spend the whole day at work and then I come home and I spend time with my family and I eat supper and I shower and I go to bed and I wake up the next day and I rinse and repeat and I do this thing over and over and over. How is the fact that God owns me, going to help me in any practical way in my daily life. I'm going to tell you how, how it can help you. With ownership, that implies care. You see, when you buy something and you pay for it with your money, you are going to take care of it. And if you paid a lot of money for it, you are very leery about letting someone else use it. Because you know they will not take care of it the way you care for it. Ownership implies care. And if the bottom drops out on you tomorrow, you can fall back on this. Man, when you get into a financial tight spot and and, and you lose your job, you think to yourself, it's okay. I belong to him. He owns me. He'll take care of me. Oh, but I've got this disease that has come up in my life. He owns you. He'll take care of you. Ownership implies care. Romans 8. 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know these things. I am convinced of these things. I am persuaded of these things. I know. And then number four this morning, thank God consistently. Let's read the last two verses. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and in His courts with praise and give thanks to Him. Bless His name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. The Levites are singing. Come into His courts. Come into his courts with praise. Come into his courts with thanksgiving. We are called to do all of the things I've told you about today, including being thankful. And why should we be thankful? He gives us three reasons. Number one, because he's good. It says, For the Lord is good. Whether you've had a bad week this week or whether you've had a good week this week, God is good. God is always good. It's like the old preacher, when he would get up in front of his congregation, he would say, God is good, and the people would say, all the time. God is always good. That's why we should be thankful. There's a second reason why we should be thankful. We should be thankful because He is merciful. The Bible says uh, his loving kindness is everlasting. I'm telling you that God has mercy for you that will never run out every single day. If you need more mercy, you go to the throne and he will give it to you. He fills up our grace cup every single day. He's good, he's merciful, and then number three, he's honest. The, the verse says, his faithfulness to all generations. Some versions say, other translations say, his truth endures to all generations. And both of those speak to the same thing. Guess what? If it was true yesterday, it's true today. If it was true 50 years ago, it's true today. And look at this. If it was true when our Savior was hung, hanging on that cross, it's still true today. When Abraham believed and his faith was counted on him in righteousness all the way back in Genesis before the law, if it was true then, it's true today. His truth endures. And that speaks to the faithfulness of God. So I think we can all agree today, God deserves our thanks. And that's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I know it's more fun to complain. I know it's more fun to whine. But it's more honorable to give God thanks. You know what the worst generation was in our country? Some people would say, today's the worst generation. But you know what it actually was? It was actually the founding of our nation. It was actually way back in the beginning from the pilgrims all the way to the founding fathers. That was like the worst generation. And when I say that, worst time. Worst time. You understand that back then it is said that that there was seven graves dug for the dead than houses built for the living. The death rate was astronomically high because of the conditions. But even though they were going through all of these things, they still said, look, we are going to set aside one day a year and we're going to thank God for bringing us this far. And it was our first president, President George Washington, that signed into law this day to remember and thank God for all he'd done. Do you know when this happened, both houses agreed? Both houses agreed. It may have been the first and only time in our country this has happened, but both houses of Congress agreed that we need to take this one day and we need to set it aside and thank God for all of his benefits. What do you give a God that has everything? The only thing he wants is you. But here's the thing. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And he is not going to settle for part. He won't settle for anything less, less. Four words I want you to remember this Thanksgiving because of the king. Worship, serve, love, and thank.